Thank you, Cole. Good to be in church this morning. Those of you that made the effort to be here, well done. I know uh, my kids and their friends made a big effort to be in church today because they were like, it's so early. I promised them hot chocolates, but um, can we just give a hand that they woke up to be at church today? They're now so embarrassed. There's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than in church. I know when you're younger, it's being tucked up in your bed. But I don't know many people that come to our church that after they've been here go, oh, I wish I didn't come. If, if, if that is you, um, maybe you can come to our production team meeting this next week and maybe we can try and make the service a little bit more fun for you. But there's, I don't think there's many of you that um, would leave here going, oh, uh, you know, I shouldn't have come. But I know many, many people that miss church or, you know, catch it online and go, oh, I wish I was there. So welcome again to those joining us online. I know there's a, a lot more of you than normal online because you couldn't get to church, but it is good to be in church. Do you agree? Are you guys alive? We just sang a song about coming alive and God speaking new life into us. And I just think, uh, you know, we, we, we need to trust that in our lives. You know, I think in many ways we, you know, had a, a difficult couple of years and there's a lot you know, of disappointment, a lot of things have gone wrong, but there's so much to be excited about, really. I know we look at the decline of uh, our country, the moral decline, maybe crime on the increase and all those things, but I promise you now, there is so much opportunity, there really is, and I think sometimes we just change our perspective around something, there's a lot to be excited about. Would you agree? If you're going through a difficult time, uh, you know, I'm in no way saying, oh, don't worry about it, it's not difficult. But I will say this, that God will bring you out of that, and there is a lot that you can be excited about as you look at your days ahead. I, I really, really believe that. And when it comes to the Bible, it's the same thing. Many people have a perspective about this book. Oh, it's boring, you know, I don't want to read it, I don't understand it. But let me tell you, when this book comes alive in you, it will change your life. I promise you that. And it is called the Holy Bible. There's a reason why it's called the Holy Bible. The word Bible comes from Biblios, which just simply means book. But this book is not just an average book. It's the Holy Bible. The word holy means set apart. It's special. It's different. It's kind of like your fine china. Okay, we have cutlery and uh, certain plates at home that we only bring out when we have certain guests. Because how many of you know that your kids will break the... The, the, the nice stuff. So you, you have cheaper cutlery and plates. Is that right? Any parents in the room out today? But you bring out your nice stuff when you got guests. You, it's set apart and normally it's stored in a specific place. And it's the same with this book. Can we make room in our hearts, set it apart? It, it's special. Okay, we, we reserve it for, for special uh, um, occasions. And, and when I say special occasions, there should be time that you set aside in your week that you read this book. Are you all with me? So we looked at the first week um, about how we need to love it, live it, and learn it. Last week, we just looked at what it's all about, and I think it was quite insightful to many of you guys. Oh, okay, now it makes sense, like how it's actually constructed and how it's put together. It's not a normal book that you can just read. Well, you can read it, uh, you know, start to finish, but it's not a chronological book, but how it's grouped and how it's put together and what it's all about. And we spoke about how it's all, it all points to Jesus, and it's all about um, Jesus and what he did for us and the love that he showed for us. If you weren't here for the last two weeks, you're welcome to catch it on our YouTube channel. It's also on Facebook for, for the Bullies. Uh, I'm, I'm told that only the Bullies are on Facebook these days. Hey, guys. Even Instagram, knock, you know, it's, it's, 
so, so my, my, my daughter's friends are telling me that um, people go on my Instagram to look at my kids. I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. I'm going to just make it private from now on going forward, okay? <laughs> but, but, but TikTok and Snapchat and all these other things, I've got no idea what's going on with those things, but apparently that's far more popular than Instagram and Facebook. Some of you bullies are like, you've never even heard of those things. Have you heard of TikTok? Some of you guys have. I think my dad's got a TikTok account. Oh, no, he's looking at his watch when, when I said TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you've been with us the last two weeks, if you haven't, don't stress about it. But we learned uh, a couple verses. And do you, does anyone remember the memory verse from week one? Your? Well done. And I light to my part. That's uh, Psalm 119, 105. And then last week, we looked at Colossians 3.16, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. They put it on the screen. Oh, you actually not me to put it on the screen. This was the memory verse only afterwards. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Can I give you one more for this week? Colin will give you one more next week. And by the end of the series, you would have learned four verses. So, so well done to that. Okay, so the... the, the Scripture today is 20, Matthew 24, 35. And can we read it out nice and loud so that we get it into heart? And it says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That wasn't the memory verse. Okay, did you only put it up now? <laughs> okay, we, we'll get that right tonight. Okay, so say it together. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This book is special. These words will never, ever pass away. And what we can look at today is how we can trust this book and why we can trust this book. And I'm going to give you today seven convincing proofs. Okay, I didn't come up with all seven of these myself. Did a lot of study around this. There's a study of apologetics for those of you that enjoy that type of thing where it's the study of proving things. Um, Rick Warren as well come up, came with a few, few of these points. Um, Chris Hodges, where we've uh, taken a lot of this Bible series out of this. So uh, seven things that help us prove that this book is actually real. So if ever a Sunday to take notes, today is the day that you want to take notes. And, I, and I'm going to tell you why. Because so often many of us who would consider ourselves Christian, when in a discussion with someone, I say discussion, not argument, never get into an argument around religion. I've never, ever heard of someone saying, okay, uh, you win, I lose, now I believe. It, it doesn't work like that. Never argue. But always be willing. The Bible speaks about reasoning and sharing your faith that others will see the hope in you. But we need to have more than a Sunday school faith. We can't just say, well, God's real because, you know, David killed Goliath and stuff. We've got to have more than a Sunday school faith. We need to understand that there's facts in this book. And there are seven things that I'm going to prove to you today why we can trust this book. And you might just use some of those seven things when having discussions with other people that potentially don't believe what you believe and really want to know some answers. We, you know, you can't just expect people that haven't grown up in a Christian environment or even gone to church to go, okay, well, I believe this book. I remember discussing God with an atheist. And my, my friend was trying to convince him. And he was saying, but the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. The guy says, hey, shut up about the Bible. I don't believe it. And my friend got like quite offended. He's like, no, seriously, I don't believe it. And then he looked at me. He says, how could you tell me that God is real? And I was like, oh, geez, you know, just a quick little prayer. And, and what I said to him to kind of open the doors, I said, well, for me, God's real is because I spoke to him today. And then he went, now I'm listening. 
when it, when it becomes real. The Bible speaks about word becoming flesh. When this book comes alive in us, then we can start to talk from personal experience. And then I started to tell him why I think he should believe the Bible and gave him some facts. But as the, the, the open door was the reality of it. Are you with me? You need to get a revelation of this book so we can understand it. Okay, so seven uh, kind of convincing proofs. Are you ready? You got your seatbelts on. I'm going to go through these quite quick because there's a lot that I need to cover. But I want really for you guys to get this into your heart. Okay, the first is this, that the Holy Bible is historically accurate. Okay, it's more than a book of just good principles. Some people believe, well, yeah, they're good. there's some good stuff there, but um, you know, many of the stories are made up. Okay, some things aren't humanly possible in this book. Like it's impossible for a man to live in the belly of a fish. There's even Christians and even some pastors that have this belief that there's moral things that we can grab out of this. So there's good, there's good methods, there's good understanding, but there's certain stories that aren't really real. They actually believe that, okay? But, well, of course, without God, none of these things are possible. It's impossible for there to be a resurrection and a virgin birth without God, it's, it's impossible for Noah to, you know, get all the animals onto the ark and the lion doesn't eat the lamb. I mean, that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we've got to understand that there is a level of faith that we have to have to these things. I heard this uh, story of this one kid who had drawn a picture and the teacher came up and said, oh, what's that? She said, oh, it's the story of Jonah and, uh, and the whale, or Jonah and the fish, and Jonah's sitting inside the fish. And this teacher wasn't really a Christian, said, you know, it's impossible for that actually to have taken place. And this little girl said, well, how do you know? She said, well, I, I'm just giving you factually, you, you, you will die. So she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah myself. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> Sharp little girl. <laughs> but Psalm 33, 4 says, for the word of the Lord is right and it's true. So when it comes to historical accuracy, there's this standard that people apply. This is not even a Christian thing. There's this historically accurate standard, and it's three things. Do you want to hear them? The first is eyewitnesses account. And when you look at the Bible, most of the Bible was written by people that were actually there. They're personal stories. And if you look at the, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are four accounts they're four eyewitness accounts of what they saw that happened. They didn't write it, and while they were writing it, reference off each other. Okay, what did you say there? What did you say there? They all wrote it, and they all match exactly. It's incredible, because they are eyewitness accounts. The second thing uh, to help historical accuracy is they were, the texts were recorded and copied with extreme care. And what's interesting is God tasked the Jewish people to help us have the Bible that we have today. And the Jewish people are the most meticulous scribes. They've been known for that. And when they actually translated, well, not really translated, but when they copied from one original text to another, I studied this at Bible college, but it, it was a crazy, crazy task. They had to get into a room. They weren't allowed to be, um, have any interaction with anyone else. And they could only exit the room once they wrote the whole book. So, <laughs> some of the books were long. And what they had to do is... If they messed up one letter or smudged a page, they would have to throw the whole thing away. And the, once they were done, they would count the number of words across, number of words down, and they had to match exactly. Even, in fact, they would know what the actual middle letter of the whole book was and count either side, and it had to match every single time. That's how they did it. They were meticulous. 
And some will say, well, maybe then the Bible's getting weaker and weaker as we go down history's timeline. But they didn't copy from the end copies to the next copy to the next. They always went back to the original text and copied from those. Are you with me? And even as we discovered the, the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948, they found the original writings and they matched word for word with the original writings that we had. And what is fascinating is when you look at historical writings, and there's a little uh, thing I want to bring up on the screen. This is actually from the Alpha Course. Um, when you look at certain historical writings like Tassius, and it was written in AD 100, earliest copy was found 1,100 years later. So there was a time span of 1,000 years. There's a lot that can go wrong in 1,000 years. And um, there's 20 copies of those. When you look at Livy's Roman history, written in 59 BC to AD seven, uh, 17, uh, earliest copy, AD 900, that was found. There's 900 years, okay? 20 copies. <laughs> when you look at the New Testament alone, AD 40 to AD 100, earliest manuscripts in 130, full manuscripts in AD 350. The time lapse is much shorter. So there's less discrepancy, less chance for error. 5,000 plus in Greek, 10,000 in Latin, 9,300 other languages, close to 26,000 manuscripts. It far outweighs any historical writing that this world knows. It is the most historically accurate book that we have as humans. And why do people choose not to believe it? Just because they don't like it. But that doesn't make it not true. Does that impress you? I mean, I, this is fascinating. People will dis, won't dispute any other historical writings, but they will come against the Bible. But it's the most historically accurate book that we have. So it was recorded and copied with extreme care. The third is archaeological confirmation. So as they've... Um, done diggings over the years, you know, different empires and nations and people groups were actually discovered through the archaeological uh, diggings. And for 1,900 years, there was one particular people group that they, they hadn't discovered and was the Hittite, Hittite group. They, they could not find any history or evidence on that. And in the early 1900s, guess what? They discovered the Hittite group. And every single one of the boxes had been ticked when they discovered it. And even uh, more recently, they've, they, they, there was also the, the in, I think it's in John 5, it talks about the pool of Bethesda. It was a healing pool, and it spoke about the five covered colonnades next to the sheep gate. It, very specific, and they hadn't discovered it. And I think it was in, um, I think it's about 40 years ago, they discovered the five colonnades with the sheep gate. It's just all lined up exactly. And we're still discovering things. So those are the three principles that we would use to find out historical accuracy. And the Bible ticks every single box. Okay, so first, the Bible is, is historical accurate. The second is the Holy Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, you know there's that saying that you need to trust the science. And I think in the last uh, two years, we, we've heard that quite a lot. Just trust the science, especially when it comes to COVID. And, and, but they're discovering things as we go along. How many of you know that certain science has changed over the years? Like when you look at computer science. I mean, you're not studying computer science the way that we studied computer science like that I did at Highbury, you know, in, in the late uh, 80s, okay, 89, I think. We, we started discovering computer, computer science. Uh, I think it was Bill Gates that said this. He said no individual would need more than, um, I think it was like 600, 640 kilobytes of memory. I mean, iPhones have much more than that right now. I mean, so, so they've gone back on all these things, okay? And when we look at the Bible, though, 
Listen to what Psalm 148 verse 5 says. Let every creature, uh, created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Everything he said, he set into place. Now, surely a book written over 1,600 years would have one scientific thing that needed to be corrected. Surely. But there's not. The Louvre in Paris has over two kilometers of science books that are obsolete. In 1861, the French Academy of Science wrote a book, 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible is Wrong. Every single one of those have now been proved right, and they had to discard the book because all 51 are now correct, that the Bible is right and they were wrong. Now, what's very important to understand is, is so science has been wrong, okay, as we've discovered things and as we, we are, you know, become more uh, understanding of and technology and all these things. But what, what's, what's crazy is not only did the... It's not only what the Bible said about science, but what the Bible didn't say. Now, you would think that those writers of the time would have potentially been influenced by what people believed at the time. So I'm trying to prove to you that it's scientifically accurate, that it's never changed, okay? So, so using the science wisdom of the day, you think maybe it would have crept into the Bible. Are you with me? For example, let me give you a few of them. The earth was flat. For many years, for 2,000 years, in fact, they believed that, that the earth was flat. They believed if you sailed to the edge of the sea that you would fall off, okay? And then uh, Copernicus, Galileo, and what was the other guys? Columbus, they, they disproved that, okay? But all they needed to do was look 2,000 years earlier at Isaiah 40, that says God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That word circle in Hebrew means sphere, and it's where we get our word globe. It's in the Bible 2,000 years earlier, and that has now been proved. Another myth that was believed for 4,000 years was that the earth was held up by something. So the Greeks believed that the earth sat on Atlas's back, and there's statues, and you would have seen some imagery around that, okay? Hindus believed that the earth was on the back of an elephant that sat on the back of a sea turtle that sat on the back of a serpent, and they, don't, they now don't believe that anymore, okay? Egyptians, who, who, who today even still we marvel at their architecture, and, and Moses would have grown up in uh, Egyptian culture, they believed that earth sat on five pillars, that's what they believed. Now, you think maybe some of this would have crept into the Bible. But if you go to the oldest book of the Bible, which is in its entirety is the book of Job, and it would have sat somewhere. Remember, it's not chronological. Somewhere in about, I think, the, between chapter 5 and 10 of, of Genesis. And it says this. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. So maybe you're saying, well, how did Job know all of this? Well, maybe he didn't. But God spoke the word through him. God wrote the Bible. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm still not convinced because you're looking and staring at me. Okay, well, let me give you a, f a few more. One thing they also believed is that the number of the stars could be counted. So Hipparchus in 150 BC 
believed there were 850 stars. He counted them and there were 850. Remember, they didn't have a lot of technology back in those days, okay? He believed there were 850. 300 years later, so in AD 150, uh, Ptolemy believed that there were, uh, you were wrong, buddy, there are 1,022, and he corrected him. And if you look in Google today, they believe that there's 200 billion trillion. Imagine counting all of those. I took a quick photo with my iPhone when we were in the bush, okay? And uh, you can see why they thought they could count them, because like, like the bright sections, okay, one, two, three, four, and we count them, okay? But I overexposed the picture taken on just a very standard average iPhone, and this is what I started to see. Now, you still see the big ones, but can you see, if I zoom in a little closer, you start to see that there are a whole lot more stars. Zoom in, Rory, the next one. Okay, I couldn't hold it so straight, but those are all stars. But all that they needed to do was look at Jeremiah 32, verse 22, and it simply says this, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. So even now, Google says 200 billion trillion, whatever it is. They, that's the known universe. There's a whole lot more than that. Okay, another thing that they believed, scientific proof that the Bible is accurate, they believed in the day was too much blood made you sick. So there was a scientific practice that I actually Googled yesterday. It's called humoralism. And I didn't do biology at school, but they believe that sickness came from four fluids that you needed to actually get rid of in your body. One is yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. Okay? And there was this practice that they did called bloodletting, where they would actually drain your blood because that's what was making you sick. And actually how George Washington, shame, how he actually died. He had a throat infection, but they did bloodletting on him four times, and he lost 40% of his blood, and that's how he died. Go Google it. Okay? But simply in Leviticus 17, 11, it says, for the life of the body is in the blood. And now we do blood transfusions. In the Middle Ages as well, 25% of Europe died in the Plutonic Plague, and they didn't have an understanding of quarantining masks. They didn't even know that you could pass one disease onto another, okay? It's only because of modern science that we did that, and that's why it was implemented now during COVID. But did you know, all the way back in Leviticus, the priests did something that is fascinating when someone was sick. The priests will quarantine the person for seven days. All they needed to do was look at the Bible. I, I, I've got goosebumps now. Like it's, it's, this is powerful stuff. Are you with me? This is not your normal service. I know normally we do more of a preach type message, but the, you need to understand these things. It's very important because the faith that you have, you need to, there's factual stuff here that we need to understand. And why do we believe all of this? Because Psalm, 1, Psalm 12, 6 says, and the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. The word of the Lord is flawless. So the Bible is scientifically accurate. The third thing is, the Holy Bible is prophetically accurate. Now this is, this is fascinating, this one. Because let me explain something to you. They didn't just write a book asking people to believe it. Like most people. They wrote a book that had predictions in it. That's very risky. Because all it would take was one prediction to be wrong, and then you've got to throw the whole thing out. Are you with me? There are more than a thousand predictions in this book. A thousand. Mom and dad, are you taking notes or are you on Instagram? 
a thousand predictions, okay? There are 300 prophecies alone on Jesus. Some of them, because some people say, well, Jesus could have just read them all and then fulfilled them so that he would have been known as the prophet. But it's quite hard to fulfill the prediction of where you were born. There's prophecies that he'll be born in Bethlehem, that he would grow up in Nazareth, okay? That he would ride on a donkey to Jerusalem, that he would escape Egypt. And the last prophecy of Jesus, so it wasn't like it was close closely written to when Jesus was born. It was 400 years prior. So imagine someone writing something 400 years ago and it's coming true today. They would have no idea. Think about technology even back in those days. They would have no idea. This was fascinating. I read this yesterday. I actually didn't, I literally was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. King David prophesied the crucifixion. Before crucifixion, so the form of that punishment was even invented. Check this out. In Psalm 22, 16, my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs and evil gang closes in on me. It was prophetic of what would happen with Jesus. They have pierced my hands and my feet and can count all my bones. Not a bone in Jesus' body was broken. There's other prophecies around that. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Everything, remember I said last week, points to Jesus. There were prophecies hundreds of years earlier that have come to pass. Every single one has come true and there are some yet to come true in the book of Revelation, but I promise you now they will come true and you don't wanna be on the wrong side of those. And we'll talk more about those next year. And there's this guy called Peter Stoner and he studies probability, okay? And he studies science and, and he, he looks into all these things. And I, and I wanna help us understand this today. So, he, he came to this conclusion, one person fulfilling just eight prophecies, remember there's over a thousand, is this probability, one into 17, sorry, yeah, one into, I think it's up on the screen there, one into yeah, 1,017, and that's that number up there, so 17 digits. Okay, now let me give you perspective on, on probability. So one into 10 would... would one in 10 chance would be, you know, like if you have 10 things and you've got to just pull out one, okay? Like when we do the lotto, okay? I don't know what the probability of that is, but I mean, there's very small chance. This is far greater. So let me give you perspective. So I've, in my pocket, I've got a one rand coin, the old one rand coin. Anyone remember this? I don't know if the, 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 the camera can catch it. That was the old one rand coin looked like, okay? If you took one rand coins and filled the whole of South Africa, it's a big country, okay? Uh, South Africa is like double the size of the state of Texas, okay? Texas is a big state. If you filled the whole of South Africa with one rand coins 30 centimeters high, so that's about that high with one rand coins, you blindfold someone, take them in an airplane, put a parachute on his back and say, tell me when to stop wherever we are, okay? and then I'm gonna push you out, and as you drop, you pull out a one rand coin. That's one in 2017 of just eight prophecies being fulfilled. Okay, just to pull out that, that one, one rand coin, okay? One person fulfilling 16 prophecies, I know your mind's a little bit blown right now, is one into 1,045, okay? One person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one into 10,157. I mean, I, I, we won't even fit the number on the screen. 
There's no explanation for that. The only explanation is man didn't write the Bible, God did. Last week, we looked at the fact that all Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Peter 1.21 says this, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Though human, spoke from God. The Bible is true, everybody. I don't know if that excites you, but the Bible is true. Matthew 26.56 says, But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in all the Scriptures. It's to fulfill the words of the prophets. Of the prophets. And as I said earlier, there's many prophecies are yet to be fulfilled, but they will be fulfilled. And if you look at the last page of the Bible, right at the back of the Bible in Revelation 22, that's the last chapter of the Bible, and verse 6 says this, the angel said to me, these words are not only true, but they are trustworthy. Trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. These things will take place. I can guarantee you that. When you look at the end days, you look at the book of Revelation, these things will happen. And some believe they're going to happen a lot sooner than we even think. I've got four more quickly for you. Those four took a little longer than the last four, okay? Are you all still with me? The Holy Bible is thematically unified, and I won't spend a lot of time on this because we looked at that last week, but just to remind us what we said last week, the Holy Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents by 40 people in three different languages, and how did they all come up with the same story? It has to be God. It has to be the Word of God. The Quran was written by one person, Muhammad. The writings of Buddha, one person. The, uh, the intellects of Confucius, one person. You would expect them to be unified. The Bible was written by over 40 different people over 1,600 years. And there's not one contradiction. It has to be God. It has to be God. Luke 24, 27 says, and, in, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It all points to Jesus. It all points to God. The fifth proof, and some might say this could be the weakest of all the proofs, but I want to explain this to you. So it's this. The Holy Bible is trusted by Jesus. So, well, obviously he would trust the Bible, but People say, well, what proof is that? For us as believers, it's everything. Because if Jesus, the Son of God, trusted in the Bible and fully believed in it, then so should we, just simply for that fact. Because he said it. Either he's a liar or he's true. Are you with me? If he said it's true, then it's true. If it's not true and he said it's true, then he's a liar. So you've got to make a choice. Is he, is he a liar or is he just some crazy person? C.S. Lewis, I don't have time to go to it, but kind of proves God being true with this whole thing, that either he's a liar or he's mad or it's true. I believe it's true. Matthew 5 says this, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, which is the word of God, until everything is accomplished. It's all true. And it's super dangerous if we start to decon uh, deconstruct this book to suit our own lives. And people do that. My dad always jokes about, I wish there was tippics. 
that we could just, you know, take out some of the things that we don't like. But it's dangerous if we start to do that, friends. And I know there's a lot of people that do do it. Yeah, but like there's some stuff that's a little out of touch. It's not contextual. It's, it's, it doesn't really suit my life. I kind of believe some of it. But I want to put it like this, and it'll be up on the screen. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. You're basically, in a sense, forming your own religion. It's either true or it's false. Do you remember in school when you had a true or false test? There was no option, like I'm not sure, or maybe in the middle. It's either true or it's false. You have to make your choice. I believe Jesus, and I believe the fact that he trusted it, and I believe then it has to be true. Six, are you still with me? There's a lot to take in, but I hope you're learning something because it would be pointless to come to church and you're like, oh, uh, you really need to take this in. You might need to, uh, I'm happy to email the notes to anyone who wants to kind of just unpack this a little bit more or go through it. Number six, the Holy Bible has survived all attacks. Now then it begs the question, why was it attacked in the first place? And why is it still being attacked today? People don't like this book, like I said. But that doesn't make it not true just because they don't like it. There are people that have given up their lives for this book. I heard of this 15-year-old girl. There was this, um, they were, they were uh, terrorists that told them to spit on this book of lies and walk out the room. And one by one, these Christians, they, were, they, they like interrupted this church service and they spat on the book and said it's a book of lies and left because they wanted their lives to be spared. And this 15-year-old girl, you can go read it in the book of martyrs by, uh, called Jesus Freaks, and she comes up to the book, she bends down, and she picks it up, and she takes her hair and wipes the spit off the book and said, Lord, what have they done to your precious book? And the terror shot her in the head, and she died. Why was she willing to do that? But people don't like this book and they will do anything to attack it and for people to say it's a book of lies, but it is not. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed and destroyed book ever written. Yet it is endured and today, 2,000 years later, we're holding a copy here and you're seeing a copy on the screen and it has stood the test of time. And even smart people, very, very smart people have tried to disprove this book and there was this one particular Frenchman, Voltaire, I don't know if you've heard this quote before, but he, he was famous for this quote and he says this, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. And the only thing has been, that's been forgotten is that quote. <laughs> And in actual fact, I love the sense of humor of God. The, the French Bible Society, when Voltaire died, bought his home, and it's now the home to the French Bible Society. 1 Peter says this, The grass that withers and the flowers that fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It will endure forever. And I've got a question for you, three questions in fact. When it comes to this book, will you attack this book? Or will you live by it? Because it's so easy to deconstruct it and go, oh, I'm not sure about that. Will you try and find fault or will you just simply live by it? The thing is, many people want to change this book so that it suits them. But will you allow the book to change you rather? Will, will you just kind of deconstruct this book or will you defend this book? Will you follow what the world says about this book or will you follow simply the word what this book says 
I just want you to know, for us as a church, we have always been so solid on truth. It's part of our values. Worship, excellence, servant heart, truth, and love. We will always preach the truth at this church. It doesn't matter what anyone does or says, just so you know that you will have confidence in us that we will always preach the truth. We have to. The last point, and then we can all breathe because it's been a lot to take in, is the Holy Bible has life-changing power. And this, out of all of them, is the thing that you can actually test yourself personally. And I want to encourage you now, as we two months before the end of the year, can you believe it? Start to prepare yourself to say, remember I preached that message, the decision before the decision when I started running? You've got to decide now like, what you want next year to look like. We're two months away from the end of the year. And I'm not saying you only need to start reading the Bible next year, right? But why don't you make a commitment, along with many others in this church, to say, I'm going to read this book every day. You can, you can start with a few minutes a day. Maybe some of you go, you know, I want to make a commitment that I'm going to do the whole Bible in one year. It is quite a commitment. But there's audio Bibles that you can listen to as well. When you're driving to work, there's ways that you can do it. And I just want you to try it. And when you start to read this book, I can promise you now that your life will change. If you do that, if you take this challenge, it's like the challenge of fitness or healthy eating. I can promise you now, if you put your whole heart into it, you will have a transformed body. It's simple. When I started running, I was weighing 101. I'm now 87. I lost 14 kgs from running because I ran every single day. It's fact, it will happen. When you read this book every single day, it will change your life. And if you've tried it and go, oh, no, I'm not so sure, I don't really understand it. The Bible says that, you, that you've got to seek me with all your heart. You can't go into a fitness challenge or a healthy eating challenge and go, oh, day one was hard, hey, let me just have an ice cream. <laughs> you've got to give it some time. It takes three weeks to form a habit, at least. I remember running, I promise you guys, the, the first few runs, I couldn't even make it out of our state before holding onto a tree. <gasps> like running seven and a half minutes a K, then I could run 500 meters, then I could run 700 meters, then I could run 1K. I remember starting running with Jin. I was like, can we just take a rest here quickly? And Jin was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, I'm just getting into this thing. Now I can run 21 Ks without stopping. Don't mention comrades just yet, please, go. Try it. Seek me with all your heart. And all I can tell you, for me, the seventh proof is God's changed my life with this book. I got this book um, when I left school. They gave it to me. And you can see it's a little worn. It's helped me. It's given me joy. It's given me peace. And I can't explain it sometimes. Jin gets frustrated with me as well sometimes because I'm quite chilled. I mean, I suppose that is something like a... Just, I'm like, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> and I, I believe it comes from this book. I know certain temperaments and people are wired differently, but I can promise you now, I have a peace. doesn't matter what goes. Uh, yes, I get stressed out sometimes. Yes, things go wrong. And I say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But when I look at this book, it gives me peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And I just wish you had the same thing. And you can have it too. If you just start to make this book a priority. Last verse. John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, remember we started this year, be lovers of truth, embrace the truth. 
If you love something, you hold on to it. You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth, not might, it will set you free. If you want to be free and you feel like you live your life in guilt, in chains, and just uh, struggling, you need to start reading this book. Please, I beg you. And that word, um, that you, then you will know the truth, is a, is a Greek word, gnosko, which means that you'll have an intimate, personal, deep down relationship with God. You will know God. And as you get to know God, you will, you will be free. It has transforming power. I'm going to close with this prayer. But I'm going to read the prayer first because I only want you to pray the prayer if you're serious. Is that okay? Can, can we read it first? So, so bring it up on the screen. No, it's there. It's in, it's in the, we, we, we need to get this up here. It's that last point. Sorry, guys. It should be there. Did you guys get something out of it today? Did you learn something? Seriously, I really, I really hope that you have. Um, yeah, it's there in the, in the uh, email that I sent with all the notes. Okay, while Rory gets it up, um, he, he might have to quickly do a copy and paste. Ah, there we go. I see it on the back. There it is there. Okay. It says, Dear God, from this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your flawless word to me, and I will make it the final authority of my life. Even when I don't understand it, when it's not popular, easy, or even when I don't like it, you are God, and I am not. Thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. I want to love your word learn your word, and live your word. Very important prayer to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray it if you're serious. Because you can't just embrace half of this. But you've got to embrace all of it. You've got to, you, you've got to if you want this for your, the manual for your life, you, you, you can't only be obedient to half of it. But if you want your life transformed, you want to be free, you want to live a blessed life, you need to embrace all of this. And let me tell you, that's not going to be easy. Because God's going to start to, <laughs> he's going to start to irritate you when you read it. He's going to put his finger on something. And you're going to go, oh, but that's so. He, when you allow this word in your business, and when you started to do a little bit of a dodgy things, cheat the tax man here, there, and everywhere, you're like, oh, okay, God. When it comes to tithes and offerings, oh God, I'll just tip. No, 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 this is what the Bible says about this. When it comes to your relationships, how you conduct your life, how you treat people, young people in the room, how you conduct your relationships in purity. It says men treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in absolute purity. You don't mess around sexually with your sister or your mother, do you? Are you ready to pray the prayer? <laughs> Just making it real here. Some of you are not con convinced yet. I don't know about you, but I'm going to pray that prayer. Can we pray it? If you want to pray it, you don't have to, please. If you're not ready to pray it, don't pray it. Maybe you need a few days. <laughs> but I'm going to pray it. Let's put it up on the screen. 
and let's pray with all our heart. Dear God, from this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your flawless word to me and I will make it the final authority of my life. Even when I don't understand it, when it's not popular, easy, or even when I don't like it, you are God and I am not. Thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. I want to love your word, learn your word, and live your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, my prayer today for everybody as we've unpacked this challenging scripture, it's a little longer, a little later today than normal, because a lot to cover. And also Mike did a preach before we worshiped. He did say he was. Where's Mike? But Lord, I pray that this book would transform our lives, that, that we would let it. It's true. And Lord, we want to embrace all of it. Not half of it, but all of it. And my last prayer for anyone here today, if today you've been stirred, you've been convinced, you're like, my goodness, I didn't actually realize all that stuff. I've like, I've pushed back against the Bible. I've pushed back against God my whole life. I've believed religion to be something that it's actually not. And you've looked at like a boring service or this boring book and gone, mm, it doesn't make sense, so I'm just gonna disregard it. But today, if you're saying, Man, I, I want to get my life right. I, I want God to be part of my life. When I read this book, I want, to, I want it to come alive in a whole new way. If you're here today and you're saying, I would like to pray a prayer saying, God, come into my life, change me. And I want to live this amazing life because I look at the word of God and it's all true. I want you to be part of my life. If you want to pray a prayer like that, could I ask you to just pop your hand just briefly because I'm going to pray with you. We all pray together. Amen.